The third book of John is really about life. And we've heard a lot about life so far this morning, just the realities of life, you know, that, that we are not for some theological concepts. And yes, you know, we, we worship God and we pray to God and theology is kind of part of what we believe in. But as Christians, uh, what matters most is our lives and how we live our lives and, and how our faith shapes and forms and informs our lives. And we've heard so much already this morning uh, from various people just how life is and how they cope with life through the eyes of faith. And that's really what the letter of 3 John is, is about. It's just about you know, some life situation in a church somewhere. We don't even know where it is exactly. Uh, I think back through my week and think like, wow, yeah, life has been, it's been an eventful week for me as well. It's been quite an uh, emotional week. On Wednesday evening, Thursday evening, I can't even remember when. Thursday evening, yeah. Uh, I got a call from my mum. And immediately when she called, uh, we were just in another, we were in a Skype call with a couple that we're doing some uh, couple counseling with. And we were right at the end and my mum called, so I killed it, you know, just to swipe it away. And so I'll call her back and then almost immediately she called again. And I said, like, hang on, this is not normal. First of all, my mum never calls, not because she doesn't love, but she's the kind of mum that expects me to call her. <laughs> and she will occasionally, you know, send a message like, I haven't heard from you for a while, but she won't call. <laughs> like, or are you okay? Or, you know, it's like, an, and rightly so, you know. Children honor your parents. I think, the, you know, she's, I don't have a problem with that. So, um, so we called back, and, uh, and uh, she, she, she was in tears. She, it was hard for her to speak, so eventually told my dad who was with her. It's like, oh, you tell them. And uh, she told us that she was just diagnosed with can cancer. And uh, um, uh, two weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, so Monday two weeks ago, she had a, a big five-centimeter like lymph node removed from her neck. And initially the doctor, the surgeon thought, they did a biopsy beforehand and they said, no, it all looks fine, nothing to be concerned about. And, and it's just an isolated thing. And they removed it, but they did send it for a biopsy and then it came back as lymph cancer. Um, that's, that's, that's not the kind of thing anybody wants to hear. But it's life. You know, it is life. It's uh, like we've heard so from so many people. We all you know, go through life with its ups and downs and it cha its challenges. And sometimes life is blessed and we are full of joy and we're grateful. And sometimes like, you know, oh, why this now? Um, I'm grateful the prognosis is very positive. It's the most treatable form of lymph cancer. Uh, the recovery rate is very good. They caught it early enough. She's starting chemo already next week. And uh, prayerfully, after 18 weeks of chemo, it will all be well. That's what we all hope for and pray for. But we don't know. We don't know what life will bring our way. And the question is always like, how do we cope with life? How do we deal with life? How do we respond in our behavior and character and how we deal with these things? Uh, so that was Thursday. On, on Friday, um, we, uh, it was my daughter's birthday. And uh, as a birthday gift, I booked tickets for us 
it's actually quite intense. It's not the kind of thing like, and what? That's an interesting birthday, but uh, that's the kind of person my daughter is. She's very serious about social justice and about things that matter in this world. And uh, so I booked tickets for us to go and watch uh, a documentary that was nominated for the, for the Oscar, for the best docu documentary, and it got, it's got four BAFTA nominations as well, called For, for Shama. I think it was shown on, on Channel 4 already. Yeah. Uh, they partly sponsored the documentary. And, and it's a documentary about uh, this woman in Aleppo in Syria and her husband who's a doctor. And when the revolution breaks out five years ago in uh, Aleppo and the government starts bombing Aleppo and then they close the city down and it becomes a siege. And uh, she was a peaceful activist as a student. That's where she, when it started. And her husband, the hospital that he was working in, and he just qualified also as a, as a student doctor, the hospital was bombed and completely destroyed. The government withdraw, withdrew all kind of structural support for the hospitals and, 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 the, med and the medical infrastructure. And so her husband just set up and started his own hospital. And it's a documentary about their five years in Aleppo. And in this time, uh, they were not married when, when it started, but they fall in love and they get married. And her daughter is born halfway through this war. And she called this movie for Shama. Shama is the name of her daughter. Dedicating this movie to her daughter and, and saying, you know what, when you're older and you want to and you question and wonder, why did we make the decisions we made? Why did we do the things we, we did? Why, did we, where are you, why are you where you are now in life? I want you to see this and know. It is uh, very, very emotional. It's been a long, long time since I cried in a movie. It's quite intense. It's very graphic with all the realities of, of the gruesomeness of war, of uh, you know, dead people, dead bodies, maimed bodies, people you know, blown to pieces, blown bits of body off and dead, some dying, some, some just maimed uh, for life, you know, kids who lose a hand, gets carried into the hospital and you can see the hand is just missing. Uh, extremely emotional. And part of her story is to her daughter to, to, to hopefully learn something from all of that. To think that a child that, that's born into that situation, one of the things she comments is that her daughter never cried. And sometimes she's filming and, and in the middle of the night and the bombs start going off and it's flashes of light and like thunder and and then the building shake and it's dust and, and the, the girl never cried because that's all she knew since she was born. She never knew anything else. And how what we see when we grow up shapes our behavior and our thinking. And I look at my own kids and I realize I see sometimes so much of myself in them because our kids, especially for those who of us are parents, it's so important to understand and to know and be aware that our kids learn so much more from imitation 
and from what they see than from what we try and teach them. We can instruct as much as we want, but uh, in the end they will do what they see. Uh, and kids, you know, are the best at spotting a hypocrite. They will see through you, you know, if you do one thing, you say something else. <laughs> Don't expect them to do what you say. They will, they will see the hypocrite that you are. And I look at my kids and, and I, they each have their own personality that's unique to them, that's special to them, that sets them apart from anybody else that I know. But there's also parts of their character that's acquired from me and from Liesl. And sometimes I, I see uh, the sinful part of me in them. I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I do? <laughs> it's me. <laughs> and then I get angry when they're like that because I'm actually more angry at myself <laughs> than at them. But I also see the good sometimes that I praise God and thank God sometimes that I became a Christian before I had children. And I was at least able to make some transformation and some progress to become a slightly better person than the complete wretch I was before I became a Christian. And, and, and I see sometimes that in their, in their character. And, and like my daughter's sense of, of righteousness and justice and, and, and sense of, of the, to bring some peace and improvement to this world. Uh, and, and I see that and I'm proud of of her, and, and I see my, my son's caring heart, uh, my, my middle son, who uh, uh, always cares for the oppressed. Uh, we were in a, uh, where we lived before in Penner, we went to play tennis, this outdoor tennis court in the park, and we just went to play tennis, and, and there was a two teenage lovers there, just a guy and a, and a girl, in the little park next to the tennis court. And they had some kind of interaction, and this teenage boy was getting a bit rough with this girl, physical with her, and grabbed her. And my son was just, he, he just stood up and said, stop doing that. That's not the way to treat a woman. And I looked at that, and I thought, wow, I'm proud of him. Uh, I look at my youngest son, and... and um, see how easy it is for him to forgive. And I look at that and I thought, I'm so proud of him. These are things that inherently we are sinful. We, we have to learn these things. And so much of it we learn by imitation. And, and that's what I want to talk about today is who do you imitate? Who do we imitate? You know, this little letter of John uh, it's about this church where there's trouble and there's issues. And in the first part, we saw that John writes to his friend Gaius and he commends him and he, and he, and he inquires. He says, it's so important for me that it is well with your soul. I want you to go, it to be well with your health and with life and everything, but I'm so glad to hear it's well with your soul. And then the second part, we looked at how... Uh, he starts addressing and he commends Gaius for the way he was treating strangers visiting the church. Complete strangers. And, and not to fear strangers, but to love them. And today we pick it up in verse 9 of 3 John. If you want to read with me. 
It's on the screen there as well. So John writes to his friend Gaius and he says, I wrote to the church, by, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So what happens here is referring, obviously, to a previous letter where he wrote to the church and said, hey, I want to come and visit. And there was this leader in the church called Diotrephes. And he was like, in, I'm sorry, but you can't come. You're not welcome here. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is the Apostle Paul. He says, but he will not welcome us. So in verse 10, he says, so when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. So this is John and his fellow travelers. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. And then in verse 11, he says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone. So now he refers to someone called Demetrius, which we suspect is the one that he sent before him to the church. And he sent Demetrius, and what did Diotrephes, Diotrephes do? He says, no, no, Demetrius, you're not welcome here because John sent you. You can't come. And he commends Demetrius, and he says, just remember, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. And then he finishes off, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. So he John makes a good point here. He says, you know, I can, I can write you a long letter. I can say a lot of things, but it's better that we sort this out face to face. And there are some things, you know, that's better said face to face. And it's a good reminder for us in the social media age where, oh my goodness, you get a message or a text message or an email and, and you're like, what's the tone of this message? Is it sarcastic or is it serious or is it a joke? Or it's like, I'm not so sure. And then... Oh, man, I, I've seen such a mess sometimes with people trying to communicate and then miscommunicate and then trying to correct themselves. And it just gets worse and worse when, you know what, all it takes is, why don't you just pick up the phone and call? Or actually just say, let's meet up and talk about this. That's a kind of a side note, but it's actually quite important um, of how we deal with issues. And, and that was the example of John. John said, you know what, I'll come to you. And this wasn't as easy as now you just hop in your car. You had to probably walk, get a donkey, get a boat, uh, wherever this place was. But it was quite a camel, you know. It, probably quite a journey. But he said, now I'll come and see you to sort this out. But the whole issue here about, uh, that he's addressing here is the battle between good and evil. He says in verse 11, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. It's this story, this choice of good versus evil. It's the, the classic big battle, you know, the face-off, the, you know, the rumble in the jungle, for those who are old enough to remember that. Um, boxing fans, those who are not boxing fans will have no idea. Uh, you're smiling, you know, about the rumble? Before my time. It's a little bit before uh, your time, yes. I'm, I'm slightly older than you are. Barry may remember if he's... Before my time. 
before. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's only the older guys like me, and maybe Paul remembers the rumble. You remember the rumble? Thank you, Paul. We can talk afterwards. And you also remember the rumble in the jungle. Okay. So Paul, Bill, and me will reminisce ask afterwards about the rumble in the jungle. <laughs> um, but, you know, no, it's, the, it's the classic battle. Uh, you know, what, what were the top grossing movies over the last five years? What were they about? What was it? Star Wars. And what is the underlying theme between, uh, about Star Wars? It's the battle between good and evil. What is it? DC. DC Comics, Marvel, all the Marvel you know, movies. What are they about? It's just a battle between good and evil. It's the classic story. Harry Potter. You know, whatever you think about that, uh, am I allowed to quote Harry Potter in church? And it's like, oh, you know, all that magic and scary stuff. Ooh. But it's all about the battle between good and evil. And hopefully, good wins in the end. You know, that's, that's the, how the story is supposed to work. And whatever it is, I love Sherlock Holmes, reading Sherlock Holmes. Because, you know, in the end, the good guy always finds out the truth and finds the bad guy. And this little letter is about this battle between Diotrephes, who's called evil, effectively, not to his face, but effectively called evil, and Demetrius and Gaius, who's on the good side. It is malicious gossip versus good gossip. And this battle between our, ourselves in, internally, you know, sometimes I see this battle in my heart between my sinful side and my good side. And wrestling with my own sin. And as he calls here, uh, you know, he said, he says, uh, Diotrephe spreads malicious gossip about us. Sometimes, you know, I see that badly myself. Even this week, you know, I, uh, I realized, wow, you know, it's a silly little thing. So stupid. But I, um, we don't, when we moved into this flat that we moved in the beginning of the month, when we viewed the flat, there was this big, nice flat screen TV in the lounge. <laughs> and the flat comes fully furnished. And it's like, oh, uh, the people who were there moved out already, so what we see is what we get. <laughs> so we moved in, we, we moved in, it's like, oh, this is big, nice flat screen TV, and uh, I want to connect it, and I realized, this is not a TV, it's one of those mock TVs that they have in Ikea. <laughs> it's just a wooden thing with a nice shiny screen on it. <laughs> it's not a TV at all. <laughs> it's a fake TV. <laughs> So, yeah, it's uh, like I'm in tiny, in tiny little letters at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, saves a lot of hassle, yes. Uh, but, but of course, you know, it's like in, it's not quite at the top of my financial priorities right now to buy a new big flat screen TV. And uh, as a big fan of free cycle and trash nothing, I was like, I said, don't worry, I'll get us a TV on, uh, we furnished half our house in Penn our previous house from free cycle. So don't worry, I'll get us a TV on free cycle. And eventually I, I, I get one and I drive to Bushy on, one evening in the week and uh, I go and get this TV and I put it down in the, in the lounge and uh, some of my family members, I won't mention names, <laughs> come home, and all I hear is a comment that makes, like, it's a bit small. 
<laughs> because no, it is not quite as big as the big flat screen there was. It is like a you know previous previous generation. In fact, it's one of the first HD TVs. You know, it is is flatter than the traditional TV, but it's not quite flat. <laughs> and it is a bit small, I guess. But you know, it's like I thought it's big enough, but you know, I don't know, 28 inch or 30. I don't know how many how many inches, but but anyway. So I had these malicious thoughts in my heart, and, and, and when my f family members were, won't mention any names, <laughs> uh, one evening after, after, after we went to see this movie, said, oh, shall we go and watch The Crown? I was like, on what are you going to watch The Crown? <laughs> because there's no suitable TV, you know? <laughs> there's only this small little thing, and that's my TV, because <laughs> nobody else seems to want it, you know? <laughs> It's not good enough for anybody else. It's big enough for me to watch rugby on, and that's all it's good enough for. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's all very funny, but you know, I just realized that's the battle, you know, that malicious thoughts of like, and I'm not gonna share my TV with you then. That's just malicious thinking. It's not funny, it's sinful, it's, it's terrible. But that's the battle we face in ourselves as well sometimes. This battle, shall I, shall I do evil or shall I do good? Or shall I think evil or think good? And what I realized as well is like, man, how do I win this battle? I need to pray more. I don't pray enough because I know from now, from experience, that it's when I don't pray enough and I don't, I'm not close enough to God, that's when evil surges up more in my heart and it, tries, it tends to get the... The, the upper hand. And I, I realized actually I miss having uh, an hour, hour and a half, two hour quiet time every day for, and the time when I was in the full-time ministry. That was for me was one of the blessings, you know, when it was kind of part of my job description as a full-time minister, you know, you have to pray. Like, really? I have to? Yes, of course. Oh, what a blessing. You know, and I loved it. You know, with Lisa and myself, sometimes we would go out for an hour and just pray. It was a luxury. It was a blessing. But it was also needed. Not just for myself, but when you carry a congregation and the needs of the congregation and, and the, the challenges and the, uh, the challenges of life of a congregation, you need that prayer time. Uh, Liesl and myself, we lived with Malcolm and Penny for four months at the beginning of last year. And you know, talking about good gossip and bad, malicious gossip, uh, I, I like gossiping about Malcolm when he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> That's what gossip is, isn't it? You know? You're going to cut this out, Leon. <laughs> but that's what gossip is, isn't it? You talk about people when they're not there, behind their back. But living with Malcolm, those four months, I, I saw him every day go out for at least an hour to pray. And I find so much peace in that, and so should we, knowing that when you're rushed, and you're rushing to work, and rushing back home, and you've got kids, and family, and school, and all the activities, and the busyness of life, and you kind of squeeze a bit of prayer in here, and squeeze a bit of prayer in there. I just realized, yeah, I don't pray as much as I used to, and I really need, to, need it, and I need to pray more. But I also realized how grateful I am that 
uh, when I post that message in the group, my mom's got cancer, that Malcolm said, you know, I'm praying for you. It's, uh, and I know he does, and probably every day. And he's probably <laughs> praying for my mom every day. And, and uh, it is encouragement we should find from knowing that uh, someone like Malcolm takes the time and has the time to pray for us and, and for the church every day extensively because it makes a big difference. Where did he get that from? Malcolm imitates Jesus. And so should we. You know, the question, who do we imitate? Um, John says here, do not, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. And it is when we imitate Satan that evil gets the upper hand and, and grows in our heart. And it's when we imitate Jesus that good starts to conquer. Our imitation needs to be well considered and thought through. Now, here's a little quiz, which I don't expect, but I'll be very impressed if anybody knows who this guy is. Anybody know? Three, two, one. Okay. He was the 30th president of America, Calvin Coolidge, in the 1920s. I've heard the name, never seen a, a photo of him. Yes, he had a lot of pets. Yeah, yeah, yes, he had a lot of pets, wild animals and kinds of things. So that's, his, that's him with his dog. You know, who and what do we imitate? So Calvin Coolidge once invited uh, some of the students and, and youth from his hometown. He, he, grew, he was born and grew up in a small town. When he became president, he invited them to the White House for tea and coffee. And uh, so these young kids from the small town were like, oh, we're going to have president, you know, coffee with the president and, and uh, drinks with the president. And, and how do we behave? And so whoever was guiding them said, don't worry about it. You know, there's always this protocol and things like that. And, uh, um, but it's, it, don't worry too much about it. Just look at what the president does and copy him. Just imitate him in whatever he does and it'll be fine. And uh, so they go for, uh, for drinks and they sit down and, and coffee and tea get served and they all watch him carefully. And, and then uh, he takes his, uh, when the milk is put in front of him, he takes his cup out of its saucer, puts the saucer next to it. Uh, he pours some milk into the saucer and puts some sugar on it and stirs it. And all the students go, Oh, okay, and they take their saucers and they pour some milk into it and they put some sugar on it and they stir it and then they look, what is he going to do next? And then he leans over and he calls the cat and the dog <laughs> and puts it on the floor and the cat and the dog come to drink the milk. That he <laughs> and of course, they all had a good laugh about it. <laughs> like, oh, look at us. Mindlessly imitating, uh, without thinking, without any discernment. Why does John have to write this message of don't imitate what is evil, imitate what is good? Because it is surprisingly easy to imitate what is evil. Diotrephes, he was in the church. He was a Christian. He was a leader in the church. He must have been a man of some kind of character. Most of us, or maybe if we think of what is evil, we tend to think of 
oh yeah, like this guy in Syria, you know, who's bombing the, his own people, Assad, that's evil. Hitler, that's evil. Or we think of, you know, the murderer or the thief or the, um, you know, the rapist, that's evil. Don't imitate that. But Diotrephes was a, I'm sure he would not have been a leader in the church if he was that kind of evil not to imitate. So what was his issue? He loved his own importance. But more than that, in Proverbs, Proverbs 6, it's uh, quite well known. It says, you know, the, the, the seven, seven deathly sins. It says there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Saying, okay, here they come. Wow, what's the first one? Haughty eyes. Arrogance, pride. That was Diotrephes' first sin. He thought himself more important than anybody else. And then the other things that we think is more like you know, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, murdering, a heart that, that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. What did Diotrephes do? He loved to be first. He will not welcome us. He's spreading malicious nonsense. It's all there, a false witness who pours out lies. He will not welcome us. He stirs up conflict in the community. He loves to be first. Haughty eyes. He refuses to welcome other believers, stirring up conflict in the community. He also stops those who want to do and puts them out of the church. Evil is sometimes closer to us than we, uh, than we expect. And what we may not think of as evil lurks in the darkest corners of all of our hearts in some way or another. Even if it's just the thoughts that we think and that's what Jesus said in Mark 7. He said, you know, that's where sin comes from, from the evil in our hearts. Evil thoughts. That's what he starts off with. He said, yeah, that's where it starts. When we say do not imitate evil, it's not the extremes that he's talking about. He's talking about that internal battle that we all face sometimes in our conscience between good and evil. How do we know then how did Diotrephes lead people astray? Because sometimes good and evil is not so easy to distinguish. What was amazing about this movie that we saw, it wasn't just the, the film, and I would definitely highly recommend it. It's not for children. It's not for the sensitive and the weak of, of heart. It is very graphic, so be warned, but it is reality and it's real life. But uh, after the showing on Friday evening, there was an hour uh, Q&A and, and uh, question and answer time and interview with the um, Wad, who was the filmmaker, who did all the photography and who, uh, who made the film, her best friend Afar, who was uh, also in the movie, and her husband Hamza, who's, um, who was the doctor. The, all three of them were there. And there was question and answer after the time. And one of the questions that came was, but who's right and wrong? And, and you know, what should, what should we learn from this? 
There's so much to learn from it. And that's one of the biggest challenges. If you try and figure out what's happening in Syria, it's very hard to figure out who's right and who's wrong. Because the Russians are involved, there's the president, there's uh, ISIS, and there's the Americans, and it seems like it's democracy on the one side, it's communism on the other side, it is extreme uh, Islam on the other side, there's peaceful uh, revolutionaries in Aleppo. It is very complicated. And that's very extreme. But sometimes, even in our lives, sometimes we're faced with tough dis conscience decisions. Or we look at the situation and think like, what is right and wrong or wrong in this situation? I'm not so sure. How do we know? We need to learn to discern, discern and distinguish. In Hebrews 5 verse 14, he talks about milk for babies and solid food. And in verse 14 he says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There are a lot of situations and things in this life in reality where good and evil is not always so clear to discern. It's not always clear to understand what is right here and what is wrong when it's kind of borderline and in the gray areas of righteousness and purity. And the Bible instruct, instructs us to, to train ourselves through constant use of solid food. When we come here on a Sunday, we listen to the word, we listen to disciples, Christians sharing from the word and from their Christian lives, we get fed with solid food. When we pick up our Bibles during the week and we read and we learn, we eat solid food. When we go to God in prayer and wrestle with these issues of good and bad, evil, and our own consciousness, then we feed ourselves with solid food. And we need to do that. Why? Because Satan likes to confuse. He started right in the beginning, in Genesis. He started already with trying to gray the black and white line between good and evil. When he told, evil, when he told Eve, he said, did God really say you can't eat of that tree? What was black and white, very clear, suddenly became gray. And Satan was like, well, maybe it's not evil. Are you sure it's evil? Maybe it's just trying to confuse you, you know? It's, like, it's actually, well, it's not so clear, you know? It's a gray area, this. Maybe you decide, need to decide for yourself. And that's what Satan likes to do. That is the, the start of the path towards evil when it's like, oh, well, it's a gray area. And I'm not saying everything is black and white. But that's why we need to learn to discern. That's why we need to train our consciences. That's why we need, through constant use, to train ourselves to distinguish good from evil. So we know it when we see it. And so we know who and what to imitate. Let me finish off. The question is who to imitate. In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. Paul writes to the disciples, to the Christians in this uh, church in Thessalonica, and he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with a joy given by the Holy Spirit. He says, you became imitators of the Lord. That is really what Christianity means. That is what, where the very name comes from. 
Christian, like Christ. It was not the name chosen by Christians from the beginning. In the beginning, they were called by others who saw these Christians. It's like, who are these people that live such a different life, who make such different choices? Who are they? Oh, they are disciples of that guy called Jesus Christ. Oh, the Christ guy. So why is this Christ so important to them? Well, we imitate him. We try and be like him. We try and live like he lived. We try and have the character that Christ had. And eventually people started calling them, ah, oh, yeah, those Christ, you know, Christ people, the Christ, Christians, the, the Christians. And we are left with that legacy of the very name Christian. It's not just a religion. It's not just a name to group us as a people and say, oh, yeah, you know, there's a, this group and that group and the Christians. It's supposed to mean that we imitate Christ. We follow Christ. Not just in obedience, in the things we do, but to be like him in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts, and in the love that he had. <coughs> Who do we imitate? It's so easy to imitate the world, because that's sometimes the easy way out. It's so easy to imitate what we see around us, like Leon shared so vulnerably in the office. You know, when everybody starts gossiping and like in, oh, well, yeah, let me, you know, I guess let me just join in and say something as well. That's, it's, it's the easy way out. It's so easy to imitate what the government says is the right thing to do and what is right and wrong. It's so easy to imitate what, uh, you know, the philosophers of this world or whoever decides the, the moral standards of this world. But what we're really called to imitate is to imitate Christ. And I pray that as we face life this week with uh, whatever surprises it may bring to you, whatever challenges you may face, whatever joy you may face. And imitation is not only about good and evil and about the challenges, but it's also about how we deal with blessings and how we deal with the joyful things in life. In everything, I pray that we can really think about to imitate Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son as an example to this earth, God. Thank you that uh, we can look up to a perfect representation of you as the perfect one to imitate God. Father, please help us in that. Please help us to discern between good and evil in our own lives and in the society that we live in, God, and in our interactions with this world that we live in, Father. Father, please uh, guide us through your Holy Spirit. Please train our consciences, God, and help us to uphold uh, in our example, the example of Christ in his love for each one of us. Father, we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.